0: Thank you for this morning. Thank you for those that are here, those online. And now, would you speak, God, in only ways you can, right, directly to our hearts in in purposeful, meaningful, powerful ways. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to finish out this series that we've been in, in and out of, actually, um, where we're looking at real emotions that we experience often on a daily basis. And last week... I talked about anger, and it was important, you know, last week to talk about, it's not a sin to be angry, but anger can lead us very easily to sin. And this morning, we're going to talk about another emotion that it's important to to say it's not a sin, but it can lead us to pretty dark places. It can lead us to sin, and that's anxiety. Anxiety, um is a force that uh, has control over a a lot of people, that um, hurt a lot of people, that paralyze a lot of people. And I would guess that there's many in this room or watching online that can identify with anxiousness and anxiety. Um, Being overwhelmed is sort of the new normal for Americans. For people. In fact, um, anxiety disorders, they're the most common form of mental illness in the United States. Uh, It affects over 40 million Americans, 18 and above. That's not even including kids, middle school students, or high school students. And that stat is, is really reflecting people that are just being honest about it. Because the truth is, a lot of people ignore anything that is tied with mental illness. Like there is a stigma, unfortunately, around mental illness where a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of judgment keeps us from being open and honest and vulnerable about it. And that doesn't help at all. It makes things far worse. And the reality is anxiety is treatable in a variety of ways. And yet, only 36% of those suffering from anxiety disorders receive any form of treatment. So we have a large group of people, and it's likely larger because there's probably groups or people that are unwilling to admit it um, that have anxiety or struggle with anxiety. And then the vast majority who even recognize that they have anxiety do not seek any help. There's just Maybe And maybe this is you. You're just grinding it out. You're just doing your best to grit your teeth and just plow ahead. And the idea of admitting it or sharing that with somebody is completely frightening. And I get that. I get it. Um, Unfortunately, Christians, we we aren't great at talking about stuff like this. We aren't great when it comes, we're, we're in some ways no different. Uh, when it comes to mental illness, we often shy away from the conversations. We often don't know what to say or how, how to talk or think or feel um, about it, whether we're going through it or someone in our life is going through it. And uh, that, if that's the reality, that has to change. Because shouldn't the church be a place for the anxious? Just like the church should be a place for the angry, the church, what if we were a church where people that were struggling with anxiety, paralyzed by fear or anxiety, came in and, and they didn't hear things like, just don't be anxious. And that's, you know, we go there. We look at like the classic, classic texts on worry and anxiety. Uh, Matthew 6, Jesus says, I tell you, do not worry. Uh, or Philippians 4, it says, just don't, don't be anxious about About anything and how we read those texts often is 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 we hear it and we read it and we go just don't just stop just stop being anxious and I actually don't think that's what Jesus is saying I don't think that's what Paul was saying um but we read it that way and it's not helpful for somebody who wrestles with anxiety when you are in the midst of it if 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 someone just says well just stop it it doesn't help at all it it I don't know, have you ever been lost in the woods? I have. And uh, if you're, like, lost, and somebody says to you, just don't be lost anymore, <laughs> that doesn't help. That's, it's sort, that's sort of what it's like when you are anxious and somebody just says, don't be anxious anymore. Um, I'll never forget my daughter... We took her in for a a wellness check early in her life. And the doctor noticed some things about her and said, I want to test her for a very rare genetic disorder that's just awful. um, Which will dramatically change her life, your life, and it involves a lot of suffering and pain. And um, something triggered in me at that meeting... Um, at that doctor appointment that I started to spiral. And, you know, imagine a whirlpool and not like a a nice whirlpool you get in and get comfortable with warm water. I'm talking about like a whirlpool in the ocean where you get sucked in and you're just, it's like a vortex and you're slowly sort of spinning out of control. And the further you get into that vortex, the, the more and more impossible it is to get out of it. Like I entered this anxiety vortex whirlpool that just I could not get out of. And that's what anxiety can do, is it can pull you in, and then it's like anxiety breeds more anxiety. And then pretty, pretty soon you're so anxious, and you're, you're so into that vortex, that you, you have no way how to get out. And um, you know, thankfully, my daughter tested negative, uh, for that. Um, but I, I needed help to get out of that. And there was, you know, not th- ignoring it wasn't going to change anything. Gritting my teeth wasn't going to help. I needed I needed help. And I asked God, God, would you just eliminate it? And I, w- I want to tell you something, and uh, I hope my wife is okay sharing this. My wife had anxiety for a really long time, and one time um, she texted me and it would often happen at night, and she's like, can you come up here? I'm having, like, an anxiety attack or one of these episodes. And I was used to this happening, and so I, I went up there. And when I got up there, I looked at her, and I, she was, like, smiling. I go, this is a really weird manifestation of anxiety. Um, but she's like, I, God, like, healed me. I, and so I, I have seen God for real, like miraculously touch somebody and heal them in that moment. But I've never had that happen in my anxiety. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not going to begin to try to explain, like, the rationale for why God says yes to things or why he doesn't, because I don't know. But I can tell you he can heal you in, a, in, a, in, in the blink of an eye. But sometimes he says no And it doesn't mean that he's cruel or he doesn't love you. It means that there might be something more purposeful for that anxiety or that that suffering. What if our anxiety could actually move us to be more like Jesus? And I get it. Like when we have anxiety, a lot of times we just want to survive it. And talking about purpose and anxiety could sound like to you cruel or insulting. But I've discovered in my life that when I embrace uh, suffering with faith um, and I choose to believe that God is, is up to something despite how I feel, that um, the, the suffering is a bit more tolerable. <laughs> It, it gives a, a sense of hope, and it might just be a little glimmer of hope, but sometimes it's just a little glimmer that we need to take a step forward. And if my stress or my anxiety can ultimately bring me closer to God, then I want to relish in the fact that God loves me enough to use my anxiety or whatever my suffering to draw me closer to him. And I just want to tell you, if you're anxious, Jesus gets your anxiety. He does. Because what I want to show you this morning, I'm not going to try to, you know, we have a propensity to want to fix. And I'm a guy, I want to fix things. I see a problem, I want to fix it. And I think about anxiety and I want to go, oh, what do I tell people exactly what to do to fix their anxiety? And I wish I could do that, but I can't. But what I want to show you is I want to show you that, there, that Jesus understands your anxiety because he himself has experienced it in tremendous ways. In Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah gives this prophetic uh, sort of identification of the Messiah, of Jesus. And he says, he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. We think of Jesus as a superhero and I mean he is but uh, at the time he was rejected despised and when it says that he was a man of suffering the King James says he was a man of sorrows. A lot of pain in the life of Jesus. A lot of sorrow. And I would I would believe that that meant that there was anxiousness and stress in his life. And maybe there was no greater time that he was a man of sorrow than in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26, verses 36 through 44. This is the story, and this is right before Jesus is going to be arrested. And he's going to go die maybe the worst death a a human being can endure, and that is crucifixion. The Romans had mastered the art of suffering, and crucifixion was sort of their pinnacle idea of maximizing a person's suffering, and Jesus knew this is what the Father was asking him to endure for us on our behalf. It says this, and this is right before Jesus' arrest, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful, sorrowful and troubled. Here's that prophecy coming sort of to fruition. He said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. It sounds like a man who's experiencing anxiety. Does it not? Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken for me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men just keep watch with me for an hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. What we see is we see Jesus in an an incredible state of sorrow and anxiety. And, fear. and you go, Jesus can't be. But again, anxiety isn't sinful. And if you've ever believed that, you're wrong. Like, I must be anxious because I'm sinful. No, it's not true. So don't believe it. Jesus, we know, never sinned. And you can't get away from the text. Like, here's a man who's incredibly troubled and anxious. And it's not a sin. But how he responds is what I want to look at to his anxiety. And what if we walked in his steps? I would hope that it doesn't maybe fix it for you today, but if you're anxious, maybe it's, a, it's one step for you towards something better. One step toward healing. One step toward hope. One commentator I read uh, in regards to this text said, the sorrow in Jesus' heart was so great that it almost crushed him. We see here a man literally being emotionally, spiritually crushed before he's about to be physically crushed. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke was a physician, so it's, it's no mistake that he mentions this where the other Gospel writers don't. He says this in terms of this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, and being in agony, this is Luke 22, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. This is actually a, uh, a physical manifestation of his anxiety. And it's real. It is called hematidrosis. It's a rare but very real medical condition that causes a person to sweat blood. And physiologically how it works is we have... Um, we have small blood vessels that surround our sweat glands. And when, uh, when a person experiences incredible anxiety, those blood vessels can rupture and a person can literally sweat blood. When you look up this real physical uh, condition, the cause of hematidrosis, extreme anguish. Jesus is a, like a next level anxiety where literally his body, the, his blood vessels are rupturing and he is sweating blood. And so if you've ever wondered if Jesus really understands, you know, what it's like to have an anxiety attack or a panic attack or your, you know, your, your struggles or your suffering, yeah, he gets it. He gets it. He understands it. Like he's been there and he wants you to know He gets it, and how bad it is. But Jesus um, shows us how to respond. Because we don't see a man in in this anguish give up. He keeps going. And maybe there's some lessons for us. To help us keep going and not give up when we're anxious. Here's the first thing. Don't go alone. In the midst of your anxiety, uh, and again, a lot of this has to do with the stigma around mental illness, which needs to change. But a a lot of the shame and guilt and the, the fear of what people might think or how they might judge us keeps us from inviting other people in. But if you look at Jesus, like, he does not go alone verse 37 He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled He had the disciples and then he had an inner circle his closest friends and it was at his worst moment that what did he do he did not go alone He didn't go well you know these guys think I'm I'm the Messiah I'm great Like I can't show them my weakness. I'll just go alone. I'll just tell them, hey guys, I need a minute. And the disciples were used to Jesus sort of disappearing because he did it a lot to go pray and be with the Father. So it would not have been unusual for Jesus to sort of disappear. But Jesus doesn't do that. He goes to his closest friends and he says, come with me. Like, I, I cannot be alone in this. And you cannot be alone in your anxiety. I always, you know, when I, when I look at life and I look at Jesus and we're trying to be like Jesus, it's like, if Jesus did it, it's, sometimes it's simple. It's like, if Jesus did it, I should do it. And if Jesus didn't do it, I probably shouldn't do it. And if Jesus had to do it, I probably have to do it. And if Jesus needed his friends at his worst, if Jesus needed his friends in his anxiety and his sorrow, then we probably do too. The second thing is he's vulnerable. Look at verse 38. So he's with his friends and he speaks this, okay? He tells them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So he doesn't just bring them with him and he's like, okay, now at least I have their physical presence so I'm not alone. He admits, like, vulnerably, he tells them, I am troubled. I am hurting. Like, this is serious, guys. It is to the point of death. This is an incredible act of vulnerability on Jesus' part. He speaks it. He admits it. He opens his heart to his friends and he goes, look, I am struggling. I am hurting and I need you to sit in this with me. I need your support. I need you to listen to me. I need you to pray with me. I can't. I need you. And I think some of us in the midst of our anxiety or whatever it might be, it could be depression or like the shame and the guilt and the condemnation and the fear of what other people might think keep us from being vulnerable. And some, you know, I've met people where I'm like, I think think you have an anxiety disorder. No, I don't. There's an unwillingness to sort of open their eyes and admit it. And maybe they do see it, but there's such a fear in saying it and it, and, and, and speaking it. And telling it to someone else, like, I don't have it all together. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. But here, like, if we're going to model Jesus, here we see Jesus in his worst being incredibly vulnerable. And if Jesus was vulnerable in this moment with his friends, and he spoke it, and he admitted it, and he poured his heart out, Shouldn't we? So don't go alone. Be vulnerable. And then the third one I put is, look anxiety in the eyes. What do I, what do I mean by that? Um, we live in a culture now where um, we, there's a lot of ways to medicate and ignore what's really going on. And there's a lot of substances we can go to. There's a lot of distraction that we can uh, sort of help alleviate the realities of what's going on. And you can bury it and try to bury it, but it's still there. And Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't self-soothe. He doesn't medicate. Like, he, 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 he steps into it. He doesn't shy away from it. He doesn't want run from it. He doesn't ignore it. He's just real honest about it. And he looks it. In my mind, he's looking it all in the eye. And he's got the guts to just look at it and recognize it's there. And not, like, hide it. Not try to, like, you know, he didn't, he didn't try to medicate it. He looked it square in the eye. And then four... He embraced a ruthless trust about it. Brennan Manning, one of my favorite authors, uses that term, ruthless trust. It's sort of like, a I love it because to me it's gritty. It's like, I'm going to be ruthless, unnerving in my trust. Regardless of what I see, regardless of what I feel, like I am going to trust Brendan Manning describes that as a ruthless trust. And what if we embraced a ruthless trust about our anxiety? Because Jesus, he didn't go to booze. (laughs) He didn't go to Netflix. He didn't go alone. He went to the Father with his friends and he said this going a little farther, he. Father, he fell his face to the ground. He prayed, my father, if it is possible, take this t- away from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Here, again, vulnerable moment, Jesus goes, I don't want to do this. I am afraid. I, the, the physical torment, he knew what was coming his way, but he also knew that it was gonna be probably worse and brutal to hold all of mankind's sin. On his shoulders. And he goes, Father, if there's just any way, and I mean, how many times have I prayed this prayer in the midst of anxiety? God, just get me out of it. If there's any way, just get me out of it. Fix it. I, I don't want to spend a second longer in this feeling this way. But rarely, if I'm honest, do my, do my prayers That's where the prayers often end. Rarely do they go with the but. Not my will, but your will. And this is a demonstration of the ruthless trust that Jesus had for his father. Jesus trusted at this moment, this awful moment of suffering and anxiety, that it was in his best interest, believe it or not. That it was the Father's will. And following the Father was the best decision that he could make. The Apostle Paul writes about God's perspective on our suffering, which includes our anxieties. And he describes them as temporary and transient. 2 Corinthians 4, 17-18 says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In a sort of paradoxical way, pain is one of the best reminders that God is good. More than comfort and peace and health, Pressure and anxiety can push us to know God, to know Jesus, a man of sorrows, whose redemption through death on a cross utterly reframes how Christians view suffering. If you deal with anxiety, as I do, it's perfectly okay to ask God, why are you allowing emotional suffering in my life? You can handle that question, and you should ask it. But what if we went beyond that question? With these questions, why are you trying? What are you trying to develop in me, God? How is this momentary affliction preparing for me an eternal weight of glory? Might that? Uh, perception or that perspective rather help change the way we look at our anxiety may it create in us a ruthless trust that God still loves us that God cares for us and that he loves us so much that he would use our anxiety or our suffering for ultimate good it was love that that kept Jesus on the path And it was obedience that kept Jesus, obedience to the Father that kept Jesus on the path. But there was a a trust that despite the pain, the turmoil, the anxiety, that it was temporary. And that the glory of what he accomplished on the cross certainly outweighed that temporary season of anxiety. Aren't you glad He didn't give up. So as we close, um, and I'm going to, would you stand? We're going to pray as we close. I want to pray for you. Um, I just, I hope you'll know that uh, Jesus gets it. You're not alone in it. And I, I long that our church and our church needs to be a place where the anxious can come and not be afraid of what people might say or awkward conversations or judgment, but a place where someone could come in who's feeling incredibly anxious and go, Finally, I, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm alone in this. And I pray that we'll hear stories of people's healing. But to recognize that Jesus refused to go alone, that he had the courage to be vulnerable, to look at the, his reality and look at his anxiety square in the eyes, and to yet, despite all of that, embrace a ruthless trust that God was there, that God was good, and that good can ultimately come from our worst. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just pray for those who uh, might be struggling this morning, or those who might watch this later and are struggling. Would your uh, peace and comfort that transcend understanding cover them? And I pray that you'd give them, God, the courage to not go alone, to be vulnerable, to open up. To surround them with good people that can understand and support and encourage. To be willing to admit and look, you know, their, their truth in the eyes. And to ultimately embrace a trust, a ruthless trust, God, that you love them, that you care for them, and that you, God, can use their worst for ultimate good. Something that outweighs the glory, will certainly outweigh the momentary affliction. We claim that. We thank you, Jesus, that you didn't give up and help us not to either. We love you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here.